God bless you. Let's stand together. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's worship the Lord. Let's thank him here this morning. <clears throat> Privilege to be in the house of the Lord. God bless all of you here today. Amen. Let's everybody pray. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We glorify your wonderful name. We ask you to bless this service today. We ask you to bless, Lord, this time of Sunday school. We ask you to bless the morning worship service. We ask you to be with us today and touch us with your presence and your power and your spirit. In your precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Turn to the one next to you and shake their hand and greet them in Jesus' name. Amen. You look very nice today. Amen. Best looking people on the face of the earth. God's people. Praise God. Hallelujah. I... Uh, <clears throat> We have been studying, we're in lesson five, we've been studying on the subject, the truth factor in Christianity. And uh, we're talking about the falling away time. First of all, we talked about the warning that Jesus and also the apostles gave uh, to the early apostles being the early church after Jesus ascended into heaven, that there would be a falling away period of time, that uh, there would be a time when they would follow other teachings and things that were not scriptural and things not taught by Christ and certain not things as well taught by the apostles who followed him. And uh, so this was a prophecy that, that was mentioned several times in the Bible that these things would take place and these things would happen. Uh, then we took time to talk to you about what was the apostles doctrine so that we'd be, have a sound knowledge on what the apostles originally taught. We talked about that and gave scripture and so forth. And then we referred to the time that followed later on when the apostles began to die off. And all of them died as martyrs except John. John was the last one to die, and he died simply of old age. The others all died as martyrs. Uh, John died at the uh, probably age about 98 years old. I mean, A.D. 98, rather. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> he wrote the book of Revelation in 96 A.D. So he was quite up in years whenever he wrote that particular book, <clears throat> which was the last book in the Bible. And then when he died, of course, that was the final writings of the New Testament. And uh, we talked to you also about how the things begin to change and how they, be they get begin to come in false doctrines. I want to take a moment here and refer you here to something that I think that all of us must always remember about the Word of God. And that is that the word of God is a very simple thing. It's a, a food cannot err therein, the word of God says. It teaches us that. I'm reading here from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians 1, 12. And uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthians were Greeks. Greeks were well known for their wisdom, for searching out knowledge, for studying for learning philosophies. Their studies were more in philosophies than it was anything else, which is really, uh, which is really just a, a pot of all kinds of different beliefs and theories and ideas and opinions that can be you know, put out there and th thought about, talked about, thrown around, and uh, no sound, no conclusion. In mathematics, certain things are definite. You can say two and two is four, you know? And that's it. There's no, there's no, there's no question about that. But in philosophy, uh, there is certain things that you, you, those around depends on 
each person's background, how they think about it, where they came from themselves, and so forth. So there are certain pieces of knowledge that is factual, is real knowledge. Engineering is a lot like that, and so forth. But when you get into philosophical things, uh, it can be very opinionated, and so forth. I'm going to read this verse of scripture. This was Paul writing to the Corinthians, and uh, he knew that the Corinthians were big into this philosophy stuff, and he was trying to steer the Corinthians away from following this Greek philosophy stuff that was out there and was always floating around. He says here in 112, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. In other words, what I've given you and what we preached to you and taught you is simply this simple gospel in its godly form and with sincerity. Verse 13, he goes on to say, we, For we write none other things unto you than what we read or acknowledge, and I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. In other words, stay with the sound doctrinal part. Also in that Second Corinthians in chapter 11, just to add to what we've already said, Paul later on in writing, in his, later on in his book that he's writing to them, he says in chapter 11, verse 3, but I fear lest any, by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the Lord has so designed the gospel so that it is a very simple thing, very simple thing. Repent you know, of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name. Your sins all washed away, not by the water, but by the blood, for the blood application is in baptism. Be, uh, repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even how we're to be baptized is all right there. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That, and it's a promise that's been given unto us. So all of these things, praise the Lord, were things that the, Paul and the apostles wanted the people to be very simple and very uncomplicated on. Uh, but as the church developed, the world around them began to shape their thinking and begin to cause them to think in other areas. There were men who, after the apostles died, there were men who began to come into the church who were uh, taught and had backgrounds in, in the Greek philosophies. They had studied Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and Aristobulus and all of these Greek philosophers and their theories and, and their attitudes, even the things about God, especially uh, uh, Plato. He had a theory about God. And because they did not comprehend one God and God, one God they felt like couldn't handle all of this, they decided that there were multiple gods. And so they had multiple gods. They had God families. Uh, Greeks had their family gods, the family of gods. The Romans had their family of gods. And the Egyptians had their family of God. The Babylonians had their family. Of, and it went on and on. They had different names, but they corresponded with the others. It's all paganism. It was, uh, they had idols. Of course, they worshiped. Uh, the Lord was always displeased with this because God is one. And he made everything. And he deserves all praise and worship and adoration and thanksgiving to him. 
not to somebody, somebody else or something else or some other object or whatever it is that represented some other God. And so the Lord was always displeased with those things. So the plurality of God, or polytheism as it's called, uh, was something that God frowned on, but they begin to delve in that. And so some of these uh, church leaders, some of them came out of Greek philosophy, and they had studied that, they had learned that. When they got saved and they came into the church, they thought there's so much knowledge there that we should bring with us and we should use. Folks, can I just tell you this, praise the Lord, there's nothing any greater than the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. Nothing greater than this, praise God. And so as time went along, they began to uh, develop different attitudes and different beliefs and they came up with some very weird things. I, I could stand in here in the pulpit and tell you some, I, some philosophies and theories they came up with and then came into Christianity with that was absolutely absurd. I mean, you would just be shocked to hear some of the weird things that they believed. Uh, ironically, a lot of the things that cropped up in, in later years, like in the last century, in, in the 1900s and even in the 1800s, uh, and beliefs that's still floating around in our time and day to day, all of them began way back there in that period of time. They had the thing called Gnosticism, Gnosticism, in which these uh, philosophers tried to mix Christianity with that Greek philosophy. They had, there was one that, that was highly went along with, it was very much part of, of Gnosticism, and it was the belief that the God of the Old Testament was a very cruel God very cruel God. I'm talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he was a very mean God, and that whenever Jesus, uh, who was of another God or was another God, came, he tried to straighten it all out, and he tried to straighten out what that other God had, all me had already messed up, and that's why the world was so, is so imperfect, because the first God didn't do it right. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. This is what they believe. I, what I'm telling you is not truth, but, but what they believed, them believing stuff like that was, is true history. And so I'm just telling you here, there was a lot of weird things like this that begin to, and all these things begin to bombard the church. And then on top of all of that, there began to be persecution that came the way of the early church. And they began to be persecuted for being Christians. Uh, I, uh, I've shown you this chart before, and I, I will show it to you again here, try to zero in on some things, but uh, there were persecutions that came from those emperors. And uh, let me put something on the overhead here a minute. And I want you to turn with me for a moment to Revelations chapter uh, 2. I want to show you something here. This is, this is a, uh, a chart here showing you the persecutions. And I'm going to zero in on this a little bit closer here where we can see it. Let me put it like this. Hope you can. Okay. And then uh, Nero being number one up here. And his persecution was 64 to 68 AD. And persecution continued by all of these. These numbers on the left are, are, are Roman emperors that brought persecution against the church right on down to uh, Diocletian at the very at the very bottom there uh, and his his reign he was the last of, the, of, of all the persecuting emperors uh, they were not always every emperor in a row but that'd be one that was okay one that was tolerant 
And then there would be one who'd come along and he would just get really hard on the Christians and give them a hard time and persecute them. And during this period of time of persecution, it was a trying time for them. I want you to look at Revelation with me for a moment. Go to Revelations chapter 2. Let me show you something here. And if you look with me in chapter 2 and verse 8, I'm going to read down through verse 8, 9, and 10. This is interesting because in the book of Revelation here in the first chapter and then starting in chapters 2 and 3, it talks about the seven churches of Asia. Asia was an area that's today western Turkey. It's not the Orient, not the Orient. In the Bible, uh, the word Asia was used in that fashion. It goes way back. It's an old Greek word. It goes back, and it had no reference at all to the Orient. But this was an area that was in western Turkey, and there were actually seven churches there, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, you know, Sardis, the uh, Philadelphia and, and Laodicea and so forth. Those seven churches were actually there. And, uh, and then the Lord went on to say to John in Re Revelation here, write to these churches and tell them what they are to expect, what's going to happen, and so forth. Many Bible scholars today recognize this as not only being those seven churches that actually existed, but actually to know that they were periods of time in the entire church age up to where we are today. They understand that today. Hindsight's better than foresight. And so here's what it says about the second church. The first one was talking about Ephesus and how that they kept the, the word of the Lord and they loved the Lord. They, they had lost their first love and so forth. It talks about their, their shortcomings. But down in verse 8, it starts in with the second of these churches, seven churches. And unto the angel of the church of Samaria write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogues of Satan. Because they were receiving a lot of persecution at that time. And would be. For fear none of those things which thou hast shalt suffer, shalt mean the future, future tense. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Notice the word here, ten days. And uh, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So the Lord warned them. They had already had the warning that it was coming their way. And it's ironic that the persecutions that came actually came in, in ten uh, periods of time like this. This is, and this was the, the, the emperors that they were, this was the uh, time, 64 to 68, 95 to 96, and so forth. These were the A.D. dates here, right on down until three, uh, 303 until 313. And when 313. back on all right uh, Constantine then who became the first Christian emperor he came into power in 313 and so but during this period of time there was great persecution that the people underwent and they were persecuted by many things and they fled for their lives and it shaped their thinking for instance here is one of the things that developed people who were told 
if you recant and deny Jesus Christ, we let you live. If you don't, you die. A lot of them recanted. A lot of them says, I deny Jesus Christ, and they lived. Then when the persecution was all over with, they wanted to come back and be Christians again. And they would say, you know, you know, please forgive us. We, you know, we just, in a moment of weakness, we just, we just couldn't see death and face death. And, so, and, and some of the ones who had gone through it or their families had, and they had died, they said, no, no, you recanted, so therefore you're out. The Lord had said in his word that if you deny me, my heavenly, if you deny the Lord, the Lord will deny you, you know, and so forth. And so this been another said, no, we, we are forgiving people. Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. And so this became a debatable thing. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? So it became a thing where they would say, should they be? And so some would say, no, we believe in forgiving them and taking them back in. Others would say, no, we don't believe in forgiving them. And they, they, they recanted, and so they can't be back in the church ever again. You know, that kind of a thing. So these things developed, and they went along, so forth, and rocked along and caused them to go through a lot of persecution. Uh, there is a, there's an interesting experience that I had uh, I don't know, several years ago, I was in, it was, we were in Rome, and we went into the catacombs. This is where the Christians lived and worshipped, not lived so much as worshipped, but sometimes they had to live there. These were the ancient graves, caves and grave sites of the ancient Romans, back before uh, the church age period, way back before that, even hundreds of years before that. And so, therefore, these caves and things had been burial places and there was nothing in there but just old dry bones and so forth. When persecution came, the Christians would go back into those catacombs. And they'd go back in those, they had tunnels and had caves. And you'd go through a tunnel and then you'd come out into an opening that would be a small, like a small room, maybe half the size of this platform here. And they would have church, they'd have worship, and they would pray and things like that. So that the Romans at that time would not catch them and, you know, and put them to death because they were Christians. And so they began to do that. When I was over there several years ago, I remember we were with our group, and I think I've told this before, but I never will forget me standing against the wall in the back and the guy talking to us, and he says, that, that figure that's on the wall behind the man standing there against the wall, and I turned and looked, and everybody turned and looked, and it had the fish emblem. You know, the fish had the fish emblem. He said that was the symbol of the early church. He said it was not the cross, it was the fish. And he says the reason for the fish is because the early church always immersed in water, and fish were like under the water. It represented having gone under the water. Now that's interesting when the, you know later on sprinkling and pouring and all kinds of forms of baptism came along but he originally and he even said he said you know he's roman catholic himself he said the original christians they immersed in water and the fish was their symbol and he said that symbol that's scratched on the wall is over two thousand years old or two thousand years old and i stood there and i looked at that symbol and it was no bigger than this you know and I put my hand on it, and I just felt it. And I just thought some, some Christian man, I, I would think it would be a man, uh, chiseled that into that wall some 2,000 years ago 
to symbolize we Christians were here at one time. And I just put my hand on it and I thought of their persecution. And I thought about the things they went through and the things that they suffered. And, and for, some, for a moment, I felt like I was in touch with those people, how they must have felt. Uh, could I have done that? Would I have done that? Could I have been a Christian in those days and survived the persecution that they went through? But they did. They survived and they went through those kind of things. And I, I just say that to you because I want you to understand here that those people went through a lot of crazy, crazy things back in those days, one after the other. And history tells us that the last of the persecution, I'm going to push this up a little bit, the last, which was under Diocletian, uh, was the worst. It was the worst. They really came hard down on Christians. And uh, for 10 years, they persecuted Christians very severely. It's a very hard persecution until they, was, they even wondered if Christianity would survive. They literally were trying to stamp out Christianity. I'm telling you all of this so that you understand here what this early church went through. And then when Constantine came into power and he was the he was the first called christian emperor and that's i'm reading here at the bottom of this can all of you see this up there can you see that pretty well i've got it back just about as high focus as i get it but constantine who was the first christian emperor here when he came into power and he was not really a christian his mother was a christian and he was sort of what i converted but he had become the emperor of, of rome the emperor of the roman empire and he was interested in consolidating and he was trying to bring some kind of harmony to the whole empire with the Christians. And so he brought about, finally from uh, in 325 AD, he brought about the Nicene Council in which he would therefore uh, make the Christian bishops all get together and hammer out a belief that they could all believe in because they were all believing in different things and so forth. Now, folks, let me say this. When this all happened, the whole attitude about Christianity changed. Now they became the national religion of the Roman Empire. They were the national religion. Everybody started getting on board. Everybody wanted to be a Christian. And the Christian people felt like we have gone through, you know, the hard times. And now we have entered into the millennium. We've entered into the, a utopia. We've entered into the good graces of God finally. And so they became, you know, so grateful and, and they loved the world and the world loved them. And where the world hated them before and brought persecution to them and they had to hammer out things, whenever this reverse situation came, it brought about a thing where they were accepted by the world. They were accepted by those uh, that had one time uh, who had persecuted them. And this new age had arrived for them. I want you to look with me in Luke uh, 6, 26. Just look in Luke 6, 26 with me for a moment. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord had, you know, told them that there would be all kinds of persecutions that had come their way and so forth. That was all gone now. And finally, and this is a scripture from the, from the Lord's teachings this is Luke 6, 26. He says, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. If you've got your Bibles, put a little ring around the word all. All, when all men, you know, speak well of you. He said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. 
for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So I'm just pointing out to you now, they were having everybody coming their way and everybody talking well. And it was in this period of time where everything was in their favor that they began to slip away from that basic doctrinal truths of the word of the Lord. They began to adopt to them things, new concepts, new ideas. They began to say, let's try out something different and new. And so they begin to experiment with things and try things. And I tell you all of that so that you understand this is what we have to worry about and think about even ourselves. Sometimes it's when good times are there that we can find ourselves slipping into a mediocrity way of worship and a mediocrity Christian life because nobody's against us. We enjoy that in America. These seven churches that we mentioned in the early part of the book of Revelation. This also, we know that it's, it's areas of history because it all lines up perfectly right on down to the end. And the last church is the Laodicean church. And that would be possibly where we are now. And it was the church that began to fall away because everything was so given to them and so forth. And said, you know, they, they were rich and they were blessed and they said, we have no need of nothing. And this was one of the things that was described in that third chapter of the book of Revelation. But uh, these people that were going through these times, they were first hard and then and all of a sudden now it was very easy for them. And everything was going nice. And so they began to apply to themselves all kinds of varied beliefs and theories and ideas about things so that it would be acceptable to the world and the world would be acceptable to them and they begin to lose that closeness uh, that they had with the apostles doctrine now i want to say this today i think we're very blessed in america but there are other parts of the world that are not blessed like we are here as you know that there, there would be some places in the world even today and i think on any given time there are times there are places in the world where some people are persecuted and some people are enjoying the blessings and the freedom of God. And I know today we're in America, we're in this church, nobody's going to come in here and run us out. Nobody's going to come in here and say, you know, you're all under arrest. Thank God for all of that. But, you know, in some parts of the world, it's like that. You know, our pastors told us about him being in China and how that they had to slip around. They had to go, and I've read stories about all those things, how they had to slip around and they had to get on a subway or a bus and go here and then they get off and take another one and go this way and they get off of that one and go another one that takes them an hour just changing buses and changing routes to get to where they're going so that when they get there uh that they can uh, they can have worship and nobody's been following them you know the we had that chinese brother that was here not long ago and he said they always bring a birthday cake when they have a gathering and they're going to have church and he said, if they suspect that somebody has come in among them that's spying them out, he said, all of a sudden, somebody will pop up with a birthday cake and say, okay, it's time to have the birthday party. And they, impl they, they imply with that that we're gathered together to have a birthday party. That's why the birthday cake's always there. If the, nobody's there to spy on them, they push the cake aside and they worship God. This is in China now. You understand what we're saying here? Well, we don't have to do that. We don't, nobody's brought a birthday cake here this morning, you know. We're all here to worship God and glorify the Lord. So I'm just pointing out to you here today, because of our liberty, let us take advantage of that 
And I honestly believe that much of the world depends on our commitment to the Lord and our prayers and the freedom we have to pray and to worship and to hold them up in prayer. Praise God. And to worship and praise God. Some places are just so steeped in poverty. They, they can't even, they can't even. I, my son was telling me when he was, I think it's in Uganda, one of the countries in Africa. And, and he says, and he said, every child has a little piece of soap because soap is the only way he can stay, he can stay clean, you know? And they have a little piece of soap and they value soap. They, somebody throws a piece of, a little piece of used soap on the ground that's so small, you know, and they'll grab it up and put it in their pocket because soap is so valuable to them. And I'm telling you all of that so that we understand here what we have is the blessings of God. And when you come to church, when we come to the house of God, let's worship the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Let's glorify Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't come to church and work on your cell phone. Don't come to church and work on your checkbook. Don't come to church, praise the Lord, and and be in touch with all kinds of, say, I have come to the house of God to worship the Lord. And if nothing else, nothing else, let's say, Jesus, I love you and I thank you. Praise the Lord. And he is worthy of all of our praise. I say worthy. That's an understatement. That's an under. I mean, bang, you know, for me saying, thou, you know, he's worthy. He's, he's beyond all of that. We, we praise the Lord. We owe him worship. We owe him worship because he made us. He created us. Our heartbeat is because of him. The blood flowing through our veins is because of him. The breath that we breathe is because of him. Praise the Lord. We wouldn't even be here. We couldn't be here. Uh, You know, so why not worship God and say, Jesus, I love you and I thank you and I praise you with all of my heart and glorify the name of the Lord because if the enemy can ever take away our worship, if he can ever subside and subdue, and not subside, but subdue our worship and to diminish that in us, he has accomplished some of his purpose uh, in, 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 in this world and that's to quieten down the Christian. And that's what happened back in this time of plenty and this time of prosperity and this time of the what they call worldly acceptance and everything. Uh, several years ago, I preached a message. Uh, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Acts with me for a moment. Uh, look at Acts 27, 13. And I preached a message on the south wind blows softly. And uh, some of you have referred to that, you know, to me privately, everything. But the south wind blows softly. I was a boy in my first 10 years of my life. I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. Later, we moved, my family moved to Miami. But in that years that we were along that Gulf Coast, I remember going down uh, to those lagoons and down to the Gulf Beach and so forth and uh, seeing the pine trees. I, uh, we probably have the same thing on the East Coast and over on the, on the Gulf Coast of uh, Florida, then South Florida. But I've, this was my experience and what I remember. But I remember seeing those little pine trees that grew all along that coastline and they were always leaning toward the north. Always leaning toward the north. And it looked like a hurricane had been through, yet I had lived there long enough to know there had been no, and there have been hurricanes that hit there. 
but I knew there had been nothing there, you know. In fact, for my first 10 years, I don't think we ever had a hurricane there. And I knew it wasn't that. And I was one day looking at it, I was with my dad, we were down there fishing, my uncle and my cousin, my father-in-law, we were down there. And I said to my dad, Dad, why do those trees all lean toward the north? Is that because a big storm came through here? He says, no. He said, that's because that the soft wind from the ocean constantly blowing has shaped it to lean in that direction. And I never thought more about it, just remembering that he said that. And when I got older, I realized the south wind blows softly. And this is what happened in the days of prosperity for the church. Whenever persecution ceased to be and the world put their arm around the church and they brought them in, suddenly the soft wind began to blow softly. And the soft south wind blowing will shape the direction of the way the trees, that tree that I saw leaned and the way it would shape us if we do not stay fastened to the apostles' doctrine. I'm telling you here today simply how important it is for us to stay steadfast with the word of God and never change our beliefs or our... uh, This is what it says here in 27. This is when Paul uh, was on the ship and they were fixing to sail out into the Mediterranean and... uh, they, were, they knew it was past the season which they should be sailing on the Mediterranean Sea at that time because of the uh, time of the year. It was, it was, I think it was in October. He talks about past Passover and so forth. But here's what it says in verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, this is what's in the scriptures, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close to Crete. And they went on, and of course, you know the story, they got into a big storm, and they all shipwrecked on an island, uh, you know, called Miletus and so forth. And, uh, you know, and Paul and, and all of them, they were all spared. But nevertheless, the ship was sunk and the ship had a shipwreck and because of the storm. And now the reason I'm pointing this out is because the south wind blowing softly was deceptive. Right. And I just want to say this to all of us here today. Nothing beats old-fashioned prayer, folks. Amen. Believe me, nothing beats old-fashioned prayer. Nothing beats old-fashioned Christian living. We are having a lot of pressure. Christianity is having a lot of pressure put on it right now. All across the world, all across America. And that is to become more liberal in our views, more tolerant of sins and so forth. Uh, There are some things the Bible speaks very boldly and very definitely against. And we should always say that's where we stand as well, you know. Not to say, oh, well, you know, somebody else's, you know, whatever they are, they are what they are, you know, and everything. To say, no, the Bible teaches such and such to be exactly as it is. Praise God. And uh, I just wanted to tell you here today that we we always need to stand strong and firm for that which, praise the Lord, which is biblical. And if we'll do that, we'll be okay. Whether we're under persecution or whether we are under, shall I say it, the south wind blowing softly of the world upon us. But let us stay with the book. The book is right. The book is on target. You'll never fail. Everything that Jesus has said in this book, it either has come to pass or it will come to pass. It's yet to come. Praise the Lord. And we can stand strong, steadfast in the Lord. Praise the Lord, knowing that he will never fail and he will never fail us in all things. Praise the Lord will be right and well with him. Praise God. Uh, 
So there began to be a falling away now in this time of prosperity. You'd have thought that would have come about by persecution. But that was only a measure of it. But it became worse whenever they were embraced by the world and said, we love you and so forth. And they begin to fall away from truth. This is where all those things really begin to happen. And they begin to say, oh, you know, we believe in this and we believe in that. They adopted all kinds of beliefs and they, you know, this Gnosticism that rose up and so forth. Uh, down in Egypt, there was a, a Jewish guy named Philo. I have his book, and uh, he was a very influential person. He was Jewish. A lot of Jews were in Alexandria, uh, Egypt in those days, because Alexandria, Egypt was one of the learning centers of the then known world. And uh, they had many books there, a lot of Greek philosophy. And they studied, and they studied, and they studied, and they worked on this philosophy, and they studied Plato and Aristotle and, and, uh, and Aristobulus and, and Socrates, and they just studied all of this, and they tried to fit it all in. Uh, one man, and they had all these church leaders that begin to come along, and they would say, uh, like Origen or Tertullian or, or Arius or one of the others, they would say, uh, oh, I think we can adopt those Greek philosophies into Christianity, and it will help us to be a greater Christian body. Uh, it would help us, to, because the early church, and they started calling it the primitive church, if you ever hear anybody call the early church the primitive church, that's a put down. That's like the caveman stuff, you know. I'm talking about the apostles' age, the, the age of the apostles, the first century. Whenever they were setting the world on fire, these are they, you know, they said of the Paul and them, these are they who have turned the world upside down, you know, and everything. And they call it the primitive doctrine because they felt like they didn't have all the answers necessary for the population of the people. And so they had to come up with new answers and new theories and new, and, and, and one guy came, I think it was uh, Origen. Origen came up with the idea that uh, the, uh, the philosophers, of, uh, the Greek philosophers were as anointed of God as the prophets of the Old Testament were in Jewish history. And so they said, why not adopt these philosophers ideas and their opinions and so forth and they begin to mix all this stuff together and they came it came out with all kinds of stuff they had all kinds of different views this one believed this one this one believed that one this one believed this that one that was Arius Arius he believed in two he didn't believe in three he believed in two uh, he said that was a, he didn't believe in one he believed in two he believed that was the father and then there was the son created by the father you know and everything and that's why you find in that trinity of doctrine co-equal co-existence never was there a time that one was before the other never shall there be a time one shall be after the other the you know the 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 trinity creed and all these things were all shaping up and developing and i'm just telling you here that if we stay with the word we stay with the book i'll never forget as long as i live when i was 16 years old i was baptized with the baptism of the holy ghost went to an altar uh, in a Pentecostal church, had no, no idea about getting saved. And that preacher preached that word to me, and I got convicted in my heart, and I said, I, I got to go down to that altar and pray. And I went down to that altar, and I prayed, and I prayed through and repented of all my sins. They took me out and baptized me in Jesus' name. I received the Holy Ghost before I ever was baptized. Received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I thought, what in the world has happened to me? But I was so happy. Oh, man, I was so happy and everything. And I never forget it. Then I said to myself, I don't understand something. I said to the pastor, I said, 
I was baptized in Jesus' name. He said, yeah, here it is, Acts 2.38, Acts 8.16, Acts 10.48, Acts 19.5, right there, baptized in Jesus' name. I said, okay, I was baptized that way. I know it's according to the Bible. But why is Matthew 28.19 there? Go ye and all were baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Why is that there? And I never forget. I, and he said, and, and he explained it to me, and it went in this way, it went out that way. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't get a handle on it. I said, oh, okay, all right. You know, what he was telling me was that the name was Jesus. Baptized, go ye and all were baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, the name of the Son we know is Jesus. The name of the Father is also Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost, I said, you know, and he was telling me all of that. It still didn't make sense. Why is that true? So I'd get somebody else, you know, cornered. I'd say, explain this to me. I said, I don't understand. Now remember, I'm 16 years old, going on 17. I said, I don't understand. Explain this to me. In the meantime, I'm praying and praying and praying. I get a call to the ministry. I'm trying to figure out why, why there's two baptisms in the Bible, you know, and everything. And I'm just trying to say here, folks, that God can always give us direction in things. It will keep him first and foremost and stay with the book. Always stay with the book. I, you know, I've been in this thing now for, you know, all these years. How old am I now? Anyhow, all these years I've been in this, this way. And I'm just telling you here, if we stay with the book, I've never found it to be wrong. It's always right. It's right there for us. Praise God. And I never will forget that I, I was sitting on the couch one day. I had had ear infection from swimming in some places that was polluted. I didn't know it and got ear infection. And, and I had been dizzy and had been in bed a lot that week. And so I was recuperating, getting better, just about over it all. And uh, I never, my mother was working and vacuumed the house. And, and I, uh, I sat up on the couch and I said, Mom, would you bring me my Bible? She said, I will. She went and got it and brought it to me. I sat down and I read it and I read it, Matthew 28, 19. And when I looked at Matthew 28, 19, for the first time in my life, it was like a light went on like that. You know, go in all the world baptizing in the name. The name is singular. Name, one name. The name of the Father, Son, the name of, Je the, name of the Son is Jesus. And so if the name of Jesus, if it's the one name involved and the name of the Son is Jesus, then that has to be the name. That's why they talked about Oh, I see. <laughs> Bingo, you know. Praise the Lord. And some of you folks are, are laughing because to you, that's such a simple thing. But to me, it was so complicated. But I am just saying here today that God is able to help us. That's why Jesus said to, to, uh, to, to Peter there, and that when they were uh, up there at Caesarea Philippi, you know, and he was talking to them in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. He said, whom do men say that I am? Whom do ye say that I am? And, and Peter said, thou art the Christ and son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he, Jesus went on to say, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Praise the Lord. Now, if God is in heaven, how could he be in Jesus Christ? Yet the Bible said the fools of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. You know why? Because God's everywhere. There's no place God is not. And heaven, of course, was a spiritual abode that we, have, we cannot see, we cannot touch, we cannot feel. It is out of our, our, our element, as you well know, the angels as well. I'm just pointing out to you folks, praise the Lord, stay with the book. Hallelujah. Stay with the word of God. And whenever they begin to then, they begin to be the falling away. And 
they begin to say, let's sprinkle instead of baptizing. There are verses in the scripture that talks about immerse, immersion. You know, Jesus, when he was baptized with John, he went down into the water and came up out of the water. Talked about uh, the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. He said, here's water to, to Philip. Here's water. What doth hinder us to be baptized? And they went down in the water and he baptized and they came up out of the water. Praise the Lord. So you got to come up out of the water. You had to have gone down in the water. <laughs> Amen. And so there's two solid scriptures there about immersion. It's not just, you know, that's not just getting a little wet or something. But it started whenever they said, we think now that the babies need to be baptized. Babies don't need to be baptized because they're innocent, they're pure. Uh, original sin has not been applied to babies, you know. They don't have, that's not applied to them until they reach the age of accountability. So babies are innocent. That's why the Bible even says in the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians, when if you're a saint of God and you go in the rapture, your small child, your small children will go with you because they are made holy because of you. You, you see what I'm blessed and holy are they that have part of the first resurrection. Boy, I'm getting into a lot of stuff here and my time is gone. But I'm just saying, folks, live for God. This is the best thing in the world. Praise the Lord. God will bless you. He will bless your children. And if the trumpet sounds, praise the Lord. God's going to take your children with you. You don't have to say, well, i got to find some unsaved relatives to take care of the kids. When I'm... No, 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 forget all of that. No, sir, God is with us. God's hand is on us, and God will take care of us. But stay with the book. This will always see us through on everything. God bless you. Let's everybody stand together, and let's just thank the Lord here today. We've got a great day coming up today. Amen. Let's just lift our hands and thank God and praise him right now. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your people, Lord, the people of the name. We thank you, God, for all the things you have done, all the things you will do, for all of your many blessings. Bless the morning service. Touch us all here with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain standing as our musicians come at this time to sing. God bless you.